You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Just unbelievable, Pastor. I want to run some of it by you because I just took this worship class as an elective. It doesn't really count yet. But Have you had Matt Boswell yet? Um, I've it, read some of he it. teach? He does now. Um, yeah, I had Matthew Westerholm, which is a colleague of, of, uh-huh. of John Piper and Boswell and a lot, of, a lot of those guys and kind of the new, you know, this, this, this up-and-coming sort of reformed Baptist worship, but not like old-school fundamentalist reform, sort of like Luther mm. reformed kind mm-hmm. of deal. And it's just fascinating stuff because we, we come to church— I, you know, I came to church from a young age, and you don't think about, like, what did worship look like in previous eras? Mm-hmm. You just worship the way you worship. You worship the way your parents worship. And you don't, you don't think about, well, where did these songs come from, you know? And then, then you talk to old people, and they're like, yeah, we, and we like to sing the old stuff. And yeah. then you realize, well, their old stuff isn't even that old. Yeah. How Great Thou Art wasn't translated into English until the 1950s, but that's the old stuff, you know? Um, even the old stuff, Mighty Fortresses, Our God, is only 500 years old. The church is... You know, so we're, we're going back to the Gregorian chants. That's where you're taking us? Well... That's, that's where we're headed? Right, and even those were sort of a formalization of what had been, what had been going on. It was kind of all over the place with the early creedal chants and the... You know, in the first and second set. See, now I'm the one that's putting people to sleep. You were putting so, people to sleep with the Anabaptists. And so now you're... you're uh, you're about to we're to break out with those, and we're going to be singing unquestionably, unquestionably. These Gregorian chants. <laughs> People be really confused. Be like, you guys said you wanted the old stuff, so here's okay, the old here stuff. Here we go. We're going back a thousand years. <laughs> and that's the thing; it just continues for a really long time. It's beautiful. Works better if you have like a big stone building. Yeah, um, hey, ours, we can do that. We can? You want us to build a building? Yeah. Announcing our brand new building campaign. A big stone building. So we can do the Gregorian chant. I I could just see you making... This bounces off the walls, you know. You make the pitch to the congregation. Now, I know we said we weren't going to do a building, but... um, but Kirkwood uh, cornered we, me on the podcast. We've got a $50 million stone structure that we're looking at here. <laughs> $50 million. Can you imagine? No, I can't. Well, ways to get no. ourselves fired. That's yeah, right. yeah. Like, I know y'all are mad at me, but it's Kirkwood's yeah. fault. So, <laughs> um, Well, it, se- it seems like we're live, so we should probably talk about something. But I, I'll, I'm going to come back to this worship stuff because it's okay, fascinating. Yeah. And I always want to hear. I well, like that's good. You know, you should be fascinated by it. You lead it around here. I mean, this is your, this is the area that you're called in. So I'd be disturbed if you said, nah, I can't stand reading that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good. I'm glad. I'm excited. No, there's a, I, I mean, like to be, I like somebody that's got passion about what they do. Amen. Amen. You know? Well, we see that same passion in your, in your preaching. I think so, that's one of the things that just makes it. Have some passion engaging. about it. If you don't, go find what you're passionate about. Wow. Get get out there and find your pet. We could end the whole podcast right there. You just started yeah. us with that little nugget. But hey, you told me you wanted to talk about this new book you're reading. I'm really curious about. Yeah, it. it's called Long- Under Jerusalem, and somewhere I read that it's limited. It's a limited. Adi- I don't understand. I didn't understand that. But uh, it's a fascinating book. It goes back to the 1860s when the first excavations were being done in 
Jerusalem by this French guy, uh, Salsi, uh, who was really a a problem and became a problem. I'm just getting into the book. It just came the other day, and uh, I've had to set aside some other books that I'm reading because I just got so carried away with this. (laughs) Uh, But it's really fascinating, so I'll, I'll have more to tell you about it in the days to come. Okay. There's there's a there's a whole lot. You know, when Robertson goes there, he follow he follows uh Saucy. Uh he's Saucy's French and Robertson is English. And right. when he comes in, it spurs all of these Russia, yeah, um, France, um, Italy, England, Germany, all of these countries to go and start it's like an uh, excavation. archaeological arms race. Yeah, they all want so, to. Yeah, they yeah. did. And Robertson goes there, and he's looking at all this stuff, and he's, you know, people are saying, okay, well, this doesn't match up with the Bible, and this doesn't match up with the Bible. And Robertson's talking to some of these uh, Jews there, and they said, well, no, if you're talking about, you know, uh, the period of Christ, it's two layers down wow. underneath all of this. You've got to oh, go down wow. there. So they go under Jerusalem and start. Get out of yeah. here. Yeah, and that's when you go there, you see it. And it is just absolutely fascinating. It is a city built on top of the city, built on top of the city, built on top of the city. And that's the way they did. That's, the, that's what they did throughout the Middle East. And you ask, how does that happen? And it's probably just with the passage of time. Yeah, you know, they so never cleared anything off. They took building material that was scattered, and they built back on top of that. And then that got scattered at some point in some war uh, or an earthquake or whatever, and then they built back on top of that. So the time of Christ there in Jerusalem, two layers deep. That'll, well, we'll have to hear more about that in the in the weeks yeah. to come. We're not we're, we won't be here next Monday, but maybe two weeks from. We should make that a segment. You know, pastor's book corner. I know you read like six or seven books a week, but maybe oh, you yeah. could just no, like a, a uh, just a little bit six a day, or seven a, a day. day. Wow, even I was <laughs> well, underestimating no. your greatness. No, I do not. Pastor up to thirty six <laughs> books a week. So just continue <laughs> no. to send him. Uh, he loves books on the end times. Send him all your. <laughs> Your stuff. No, I was reading. Well, some. I do like the end. I know you do. I, was, I don't read like that. I wish I. I wish I could. You know, my professor in my PhD, my he he was telling me. He said you should be reading three books a week. And I'm thinking, oh my lord, have mercy. And, you know, think of the grandkids. You got to pay attention. And this to is them the guy that point. wrote a book that's about that thick on the atonement. You know, yeah. about eight hundred thousand right. pages or so. Oh yeah, you ought to be reading that's three a, of that is, See, that's where like I don't even know like what you would what you'd put in there. Thousand thousand pages. Good gracious. It is probably the definitive work on the atonement. So he covers question. all the different perspectives. It, oh my star stuff you never even thought about. Yeah. Wow, it, 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 that stuff. I mean, I love being able to read things like that and have your mind open. You're like, wow, I've never thought about this before, yeah. but somebody else has, and now you're telling me about it. I thought of you this morning, though, speaking of the end times, because I'm studying. I'm doing this one of these D group Bible studies, and we're in Zechariah yeah. right now, which of course is you know heavily eschatological. Yeah. Um, and we're in Zechariah 14, and, and oh, it even yeah. men- mentions you know the the battle of Har Megiddo or yeah. Yeah. whatever Harmageddon. Oh yeah, right Harmageddon. Uh, and what? Oh, could, this is why I thought of you because I'm looking at the commentaries. And I found I found I found act by accident I found me a real crackpot commentator who really? was talking about how yeah and you can see how the, the well, rotting flesh 
I don't know if I remember his name right, but um, but anyway, he says he says that the rotting flesh here is clearly a symbol of a nuclear bomb. Oh my word! Oh my word! I thought you were serious. I thought, well, gosh, he's latched onto a good source here. No, no, no. You it, know, was not people, a good, it was not a good source. People can read. You can read anything you want, which is. Why? Through Esther, I've done a little bit of that. I've yeah. been a little hesitant to do yeah. it, but I've just tried to say, look, you can just see these connections, these analogies. Yeah. I'm not trying to be allegorical. I'm not trying, but you you can't help but see that there is some type of connection. But I don't I don't go to the bazaar on that. Well, no, it was it was testament. I'll tell you what happened, and this can be a warning to anybody else as you're studying doing commentary. I've got all kinds of great commentaries on my shelf in Mm -hmm. there. You know, you've given me some, other people give me some, bought some for seminary. Well, I had them here at the office. So instead of like remembering to bring one home from the office, I'm like, well, let me just do me a little Google search. Yeah. And that was that was a bad idea. Because the stuff that's free out there, there's a reason it's free. Yeah. You get what you pay for. Yeah. Uh, you got to be careful. But I, I've really enjoyed what you did yesterday. You're speaking of Esther because you went, yeah. you really went back through the whole story. And I we did. got to see how you were making some of these connections. I yeah. really like that. You know, I wanted to recap, and i tell you who does that so well. There's several guys that do that really well. David Jeremiah does that extremely well. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Charles Ryrie, who was a good personal friend. I buried him. Yeah. I, I did his funeral. He traveled with us a good deal. Uh, Dr. Ryrie was a great synthesizer of Scripture. It always amazed me um, at how brilliant the man was and yet how he could take such vast portions of Scripture, synthesize them, and show you a, a common theme that's running through all of this. Yes. So, and I thought, you know, there are a lot of people here that were not here back in late August, 1st of point. September, uh, they don't know what we're doing in Esther. Where's all this going? And then just for everybody to stop and think, let me just think back through the story. And it, of course, it ends up on a great celebration with a slaughter in the middle. You know, <laughs> right? So let's celebrate. Yeah, let's celebrate. The witch is dead. Um, that's good. That's that's about right. You know. Um, well, so that that was that to me that was a really fitting capper. Like you know that this is the last message in the series. Let me go back through, and I liked how you started things off because you were like, "Well, just think of the players, you know, in the story, and how would yeah. you cast them if it was a movie?" This is one of it, I, I loved. Um, I loved how you went both modern and, and old with the actors yeah, that you yeah. chose. That was fun. So I want to hear your Jimmy Stewart impression because you said <laughs> you said that Mordecai would have been Jimmy Stewart, one of You're my just favorites. Kind of, I just love Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> uh, there's a great biography out on Jimmy Stewart, by oh, the really? way. It came out a couple of years ago. It's an excellent book. I grabbed it and couldn't put it down and uh, just lo- just love the guy. He just seems like he's bumbling his way through, but you can see – the mind turning, yes. he's he knows exactly what it's almost like a Columbo type of. Yes, yes. I almost said Peter Falk, and I thought, no, you know, he's too bumbling. Um, but it's kind of that. Yeah, I yes. kind of see Mordecai that way. That's right. He ends up he ends up being smart. He ends up being the guy that keeps saving every situation. Yeah, and and I just love. Uh, I, I think I talked about this uh, a a couple of months ago, but man. How funny it must have been for Mordecai, who had just like so openly disdained by the prejudiced Haman, yeah. so openly disdained, and then one day 
you know, he opens his door and it's Haman or Haman's messengers and Haman's like, nope, it's time for you to put on the king's robe and get on the horse. I mean, Mordecai must have just been doing this the whole time. Yeah, really. (laughs) You know what, I had not thought about that because Mordecai could not stand Haman and here he is showing up. Uh, this is what the king wants for you. And I would have thought Mordecai would have said, no, 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 that's okay, thanks, but, you know, I'm not. But it was uh, Haman that took him through the streets. Yeah, I guess on the other hand, it's like by order of the king, like, well, I guess I'd better do this. If the king tells me to ride this horse, I guess I'd better do that. This horse with a crown on it. Man, what a... What funny. That is a true, that is a, you know, people say, well, it's in the Bible. How do we know that's accurate? Well, we have reliefs in the, in the area of Iraq uh, from Susa that shows actual horses that the kings would ride that had crowns on them. That's true. That, they were so over the top with the various regalia yeah. that they would put uh, crowns on the horses as well. There was echoes of that in Zechariah 14. Uh, as well, because you, yeah. you might remember that passage where they put the bells, sort of the yeah. high priestly bells on the horses. Right, right. Saying, oh, that's Holy a great verse. Lord. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And everything in that day, from the bells on the horses to the cooking pot. Will be so holy. Yeah. Because the presence of the Lord now is Now that there. just, mm, I love I that. What, a, what an incredible thought. It is, it is great. You guys get out there and read Zechariah 14. Skip over the nuclear bomb parts, but it's, otherwise it's really, <laughs> really good. So I guess we should talk about Haman a little bit because um, you cast Haman as, as Jaws, the great Bond villain, not Jaws yeah. the shark, although I guess you might as well could have said Jaws the shark. Jaws yeah, I the had Bond so many villain. from Bond films to choose from, but that guy is just unforgettable. <laughs> I started really to is. get the one where he's biting. Did you see Brody, <laughs> the one where he's biting the cable, the steel cable? You know? I thought that would have been a good shot to have used. That's a whole separate. But you know what? That sticks in people's minds. Yes. You know, yes, it when does. you come, when you mention the name Haman, they think of a Bond villain now, and uh, they think well, this guy was really bad. Well, and he's almost like he's so bad. You're almost like, is this even for real? Yeah. Like he's almost satirically bad. You know? Well, you know, he's he's got to be satanic. Yes. But the, the thing that comes back to me over and over is that he shows up out of nowhere. Very hey, Haman is just there. And why is he promoted? Listen to how Haman is. After these events, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him. Number one, where does this guy come from? Right, right. Number two, what in the world did he do? I mean, Mordecai saved the king's life. And he's just, it just cuts him off. He's just there. He's just kind of cut off. Well, you kind of said it, um, you made a side note of it, it might have been partially just because he was so rich. Like Haman, like maybe the king is saying, well, I'm jockeying for political power and wealth. I need to fight the Greeks. I'll just bring this guy in. Yeah. And then that's what Haman, uh, you know, he tries to buy buy the people, buy the Hebrew people. Um, and then just so he, that he could, he could kill them, which then that's another, and then he recovers reversal. his losses plus makes a profit plus gives the king all of this money on the side. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Now you just, you just figure. know this whole thing is hatched. Like I said, in the mind of Satan and planned out in the bowels of hell. Well, and I'll commend this, the, the message to everyone again, just because in the, I don't think we need to do it right now, but you took us back through the history of why he's called the Agagite yeah. and where that, that comes from. But 
One thing that you focused on that I wanted to ask you about again uh, was Haman's prejudice, because you say yeah. that this is the first time in Scripture that that kind of prejudice was really mentioned. No, no it's the first time in Esther. Oh, the first you, time you, in Esther. You, right. you read through the opening chapters of Esther, and you don't get a sense of any prejudice against any group. He's got 127 different countries that he has pulled together into this Persian this is empire. This Xerxes has, from, yeah. yeah. from northern Africa all the way through across India. And window. India was all divided up at that time. If right. you remember, much later than this, what you're going to get is you're going to get Alexander the Great. Yes. And he's going he's gonna to march all the way to the Indus River, and he's going to have all of these various Indian tribes that are different. So you've got all of these different countries, 127 you don't read in the opening couple of chapters about, you know, that everybody in the kingdom, 126 countries were against this one country because they were, you know, because they had right. mohawks right. or because they had, you know, <laughs> green hair or something. They right. dyed their hair green. You don't read that. Um, but when you come to Haman, you see how in the life of a man who has sold himself to do wickedness, mm. He is full of prejudice. He hates the Jews. Well, to me, the most fascinating thing there is how uh, how applicable it is to even our modern era. Because yeah. you took us through all the different, and you know, obviously took us to the Maccabean revolt and you know the the birth of Hanukkah and. But then, of course, you know the the one that we all remember, the contemporary example, World War II. You have a modern Haman. You have Hitler, who's just trying mm -hmm. to destroy all the Jews, but the the blessed irony, the heavenly irony, is that any time someone tries to do that to yeah. the Jewish people, God has an enormous victory and the Jews get a holiday out yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three, you know, it's amazing to me. Germany surrenders. Yodel surrenders, I think, to Montgomery, and um, he surrenders the German army on May 7th, 1945, three years and one week later. May 14th, 1948, the Jewish state is born. That's their Independence Day. That's their day that they, that's their July the 4th. Did that day have any um, um, significance before it being Jewish Independence Day? Not that I know of. Okay. Uh -uh. I was just I curious, of. by the way, that you said that the three years and one week later, yeah. and if that was any kind of number with biblical significance. But then you said, I thought this was really interesting, you said that nobody's going to take that land from them, or mm -hmm. if they try, that's when the end times are, are going to yeah, come. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they'll ever be driven out of the land. Now, they may lose a battle here or oh, there. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And, of course, Zechariah, they are pushed back up to the city of Jerusalem. After the Battle of Armageddon, they're pushed back up to the city of Jerusalem, but that's when Christ comes. It says even Judah will come against them. Very interesting. Like yeah. just everybody in the world comes yeah. against them. Yeah. And that's when uh, Christ makes his glorious return. So you talked about, there, so there's even more, and I almost hesitate to talk about this, but I, I, thought it was, I thought it was interesting and applicable. You talked about two modern examples. Of, they're sort of the end, mm -hmm. perhaps like the end of the logical conclusion of prejudice, evolution, and, a, and abortion. And I, I thought it was interesting that you went there. I wanted to hear more of your thought process. Well, I just stop and think, um, when you come to evolution, uh, basically what it says is you are a cosmic accident. You're, there's nothing intentional about your life. Your life, you can't say life has purpose and meaning if you are an evolutionist. Right. Uh, right. Because you, you're just here by chance. 
you you were you were some amino acid in a mud puddle that eventually just worked its way on up. The primordial ooze is yeah. what you're referring to. Yes. So, um, and I think you know, for the most part, a great deal of evolution has been essentially disproved, and it, it, just like the Big Bang theory, that's right. pretty much. Uh, scientists have pretty much moved off of it, especially in Europe. But we are so heavily financially invested in the major institutions in this country in evolution that you will not in any time soon see the demise of evolution. That's true. It, it's become more of a, uh, it, it's more than, than merely a, a science. It's, it's moved beyond that. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, a religion. It, it's well, it right. And, but it's, you're, you're right about that, but then it's also, it's, it's propped up yep. uh, fin- financially, yep. and it's almost yep. too big to fail at this point, that's to use exa- the banking analogy. That's exactly analogy. right. Uh, but you talked about how that theory, I guess that was the connection, like that theory is, is it will lead people to prejudice. Because of course I can be prejudiced against you because you're worthless anyway. Yeah. Like I have no conviction of being prejudiced towards you because you're not worth anything. You don't bear Well, that's exactly what it teaches. That's <laughs> what it puts in your heart versus looking at a child and saying, you've been made in the image of God. God created. You're here. You have life. He's the author of life, mm. the giver of life, the sustainer of life. And the difference that makes in a person's mindset um, to know the truth about where did we come from? You're a special act of creation of God. That's who the human race is. So the same thing with abortion. You know, you go back to uh, what Mother Teresa was saying at the prayer breakfast that day when there were when the president and his wife and his personnel were extremely uncomfortable with this little Albanian woman who sits in the streets of Calcutta and cares for every single dying person yes. uh, that she could, who says, send the babies to me. I'll take care of them. You know, give me the babies. Don't abort them. Because what you're doing is you're teaching an entire generation life is worth nothing. It's it's worth absolutely nothing. And, I, I, you know, you can't get beyond if you stop and think about um, what Reagan said. Reagan said everybody making decisions about abortion never had one, were were not the product of one. (laughs) They they got to live. That's that's, that's exactly right. it, it just dehumanizes people. It instills in their heart a cheapness about life. That's the sad thing, yeah. Um, it is satanic. There's no question about it, yeah. The whole abortion industry is satanic. It is an industry, it is, yeah. it is child sacrifice in the womb is exactly what it is. <sighs> Scary um, words, but true. So we, we, we've reared an entire generation now on evolution and abortion and on uh, you are you are your own truth and the question is look at look at the great world we live in look at how wonderful that has mm. worked out for us we're uh, more polarized than we've ever been that anybody could ever remember yeah <clears throat> so well it's it's sobering but i can understand why you took us there because Haman is so over the top. Mm-hmm. It's it's so easy to look at his example and be like, man, that is just ridiculous 
nothing like that would ever happen today. Oh yeah. In in abortion, that thing is happening today. Yeah. Like in, there's a genocide of sorts, but. Um, but fortunately, Haman is defeated. I feel like we could be finished on a high note. I love what you were talking about in terms of Purim um, and the, the modern celebration. Because Haman meets his end. Yeah. He is uh, hanged in, uh, in, in a very different sense of the word. And then now yeah. the Jewish people gather and they stomp on his name and yeah, blot yeah, him yeah. out. You know, I've been in Israel a, a number of times when they were celebrating Purim. We'd get in town and... Um, with friends there, they'd say, oh, it's Purim, you know, is tomorrow or today or whatever. And uh, you just go around and you see all the little kids that are dressed up. And uh, it's like Halloween, but it's not like it, They're not gory. You don't see, you know, right. Draculas or witches or things. But you do see little girls dressed up like princesses and um, boys in turbans and, you know, robes and stuff, you know, things like that. And adults, too. But they do that. They go. The the funny thing is, is they go to synagogue on the night before. They read the book of Esther, yes. and I mean, they make noise and they hiss and they <laughs> boo and they stomp their feet, and they come back and they do it. It's, you know, can you go to church and have fun sometimes? Well, yeah, I certainly hope you yeah. can. Well, that's a, actually that's a good segue because I want us to I want us to briefly touch on what's happening this coming week. Good. So we're not we're not going to do this recap next week, so maybe we can just chat about this for a couple minutes before we close up shop. Um, now, this is a big deal. We're having, the, we're having the Advent music service next week, um, and I don't say it's a big deal just because of the music. The music is going to be great, but it's a big deal um, because you're choosing to, to not be in the pulpit. You're sort of yielding that to, uh, to the music, and I kind of wanted to hear some of your philosophy there because I know you're radically committed to the ministry of the Word and radical, and you believe in the in the pulpit ministry, so... Well, and yet what you like, told me to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, so I just told you, I uh, told you to not be in the pulpit. Yeah. No, you know, um, <laughs> mu- music is a great uh, tool of God. Just, you stop and think about, we talk about bird singing, but they really don't sing, they, you know... We, man is uniquely gifted by God to sing. That's true, yeah. And um, so much good music out there that really speaks to the heart. So I, you know, I'm I'm glad uh, I'm looking forward to it to a day of just uh, where we come in and we just worship the Lord through song. We don't do that every other Sunday, you know. Yeah, yeah. You so can't it's do a, it every it's a week. good, you know. I think we do it around Easter and so, we yeah, do it at Christmas. And, we do a little bit extra music at, yeah. at Easter. But yeah, I guess yeah, I I um I love the song Noel yesterday. The Noel song with the oh, bells. Yeah. The oh yeah, oh yeah, wasn't that fun? Oh yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. The first, the first Noel, and that yeah. last verse, man, that really got me yesterday. Yeah. You know, yeah. the the babe who hath made heaven and earth of yeah. naught, and with his blood mankind is bought. Ooh, yeah, that gives me chills thinking about him. Um, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. So, but you will be a big part of the service because I'm going to have you. Um, yeah, right. This is me telling you right now. You just got voluntold. I'm going to put you in because I, I'm, I'm going to have you do the introduction, and then I'm at the at the end. I definitely want you to give an invitation. And well, if I don't get to sing the solo, I'm not. I'm I'm hurt, and I'm leaving. Okay. I'm going somewhere. All else. right. Well, um, 
If you have any solo, if you have any solo requests for Pastor Mac, you can let him know. He actually has an excellent voice. Although I don't oh, think yeah. I would. I'm trying to give you the week off. I don't. I don't yeah, need you to I be nervous it. about that. I've got that. to be out of town for a day or two. And oh, okay. You're I appreciate out. it. Yeah, and it gives me a chance to work on some stuff because I'm speaking for Rick Burgess at a church here in a couple of oh, weeks. Oh, that'll be fun. You know, yeah, those and are I need great. to go and uh, do this message for men. That'll be good. Well, um, we'll we'll talk more about. So we'll be back here in two weeks' time, and we'll tell you even more about the Christmas season. And I know Pastor's thinking about his We've sermon series in January. We've got a lot going on. I'm, it's such a wonderful time of year. Oh man! To just slow down, you know, if you can. Deb said that the other day. She said, "Gosh, we got so much going on. When are we going to be able to just slow down and enjoy uh, the days that we have?" And that's important. Yeah, it you know, is. Cut out all the stuff that is superfluous and, yes. you know, just fit in what's really of value. And this is, you know, what we're doing. We think we have some real uh, worshipful times together as a congregation. I read a good friend of mine who's an evangelist. I, I read his tweet today. He said, you know, going to church online through Zoom is like kissing a picture of your wife. It's just not the same. <laughs> And I thought, well, that's pretty good. That's really, that's really good. That is, wow, that's very interesting. I've never tried kissing a picture of my wife. I guess I should see if that it just if that is not the up. same. Yeah, well, fortunately, she's usually around, so I get. She sometimes she doesn't want me to kiss her. She'd be like, "Oh, you're too sweaty, or your breath smells bad, or this or that." And I have to go deal with. You those get things. the raw Kirkwood <laughs> here on Monday morning. This mornings. is the real deal. This is the real deal. No, I get. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, we love you guys. It's been fun talking, and, and thanks for sticking with us. And uh, thank you, Pastor Good. Mac, for talking with thank me. Thank you. I enjoy sure. our chats. Yes, I do, too. All, All right, right, see you in a couple weeks. All right.